uh, Roland Emmerich was a. You know, I don't. I don't. I guess he. He. One of his weird. So like a lot of his movies are sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi action, right? Yeah, uh-huh. it's like either sci-fi, like thriller, apocalyptic type shit. Because he did Day After Tomorrow. He did like Godzilla, Independence Day. Wait, he did Godzilla. He did the American, the first American one, the nineties with the uh, God. I don't even remember who was in that movie. It had the Green shit, Day song in that. it. Yes. Or no, uh, it had P. Diddy sampling that one Led Zeppelin song, Cashmere. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Da-na-na, da-na-na. That's the one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also did <laughs> 10,000 BC, 2012. But then he's got, he has a few movies that are completely off the wall, but I guess they do kind of fall in line with his. General Uva, which is the Patriot, and White House Down. Okay, so those kind of well, I've never seen the Patriot, but okay, is the is the Patriot? Let me see which one is this one. You gotta watch All right, the so Patriot, dude. The Patriot. This is okay. What what the hell is this? The Patriot. Wow, this is like a historical drama epic. It's so stupid, dude. The Patriot. You gotta watch it. It's like it's got like. At the bla- at the end, it's got like black slaves like standing side by side with George Washington, being like, "Thank you, sir. Let's let's fight this battle." We have we have forged nation created on the belief that all men are created equal. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a question: it Does does the White House burn? Is there is the White House in this one, and does it burn? Uh, the, the Patriot Day, no. Or I'm sorry, the Patriot, no, because the pa- the White House hadn't been built oh, at that okay. point. I don't think. But in White okay, House so Down, I think it burns. White House Down. So that's that's the that's the thread between like most of his movies. If they're not outright like disaster apocalyptic movies, like he seems to have an obsession, a healthy obsession, one would say, um, about the White House being destroyed. Because <laughs> he's got Independence Day and they blow up the White House in that one. Yeah. Yes. That famous scene in White House Down. I mean, I watched that movie to uh, to talk with um, um, Milo. To talk with no, was it, was it with Milo? Yeah, I think it was Milo and Phoebe. Um, who do this like uh, a Seinfeld show, but um, they're from Trash Future folks. But I went and watched uh, White House Down and went on and talked with them about it. Yeah, and yeah, that one is kind of like like Roland Emmerich's obsession with seeing like you know what people think of this great nation, you know, this Western I don't know paragon of civilization be completely fucked and destroyed. And I think that's I think we need to bring that energy back, man. You know, he's very yeah, interested in things being either. Well, I don't know. It's like the Patriot. I guess something was being destroyed, which was the British 13 colonies. The American spirit? <laughs> the American spirit, yeah. I got to watch this. He's also got a movie about Midway, which I feel like came out the same year as Christopher Nolan's uh, war film. What was the... Um, 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 I watched that uh, the other day. I kind of liked that. Uh, I, Dunkirk. Dude, it, it was Dunkirk. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to front. That movie fucking ruled. Yo, it, dude, I wish I watched it in the theaters where you're supposed to watch it. Because I'm not a person. I don't, I'm don't. i saying that, like, three. I think 3D is a gimmick. But I do think that there is some merit, maybe. I'm not a sounds guy, right? So if anyone knows, you can sound off. But I think there's some merit to that. Because, like, sound creates, like, its own dimension of space, sort of. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, that movie was supposed to be, like, with the Dolby Digital, like, IMAX surround sound. Which I thought that shit was just visual. I didn't know you had IMAX surround sound. But, yeah. That movie is that movie is pretty tight. I I not a movie you want to watch on a cracked iPhone or some shit. You're right. I've not seen Midway. I'm gonna <laughs> bet that it probably pales in comparison. Dude, I feel like I have to watch this because I'm getting. I'm just looking at the poster. I'm getting real uh, Pearl Harbor. Michael Michael Bay did Pearl he Harbor. Did right? yeah, yeah. I'm getting real Pearl Harbor vibes from this bit. I remember seeing Pearl Harbor when um I was a kid. Uh, I must have been in like sixth grade, uh, and um, I went and watched it myself. My parents dropped me off and just let me go see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, starting a long, a long tradition of me going to movies alone. <laughs> wait, can I ask you? Okay? So wait, so you've always liked history, right? I know that much, but like, did you want to see it? Because you like, I mean, like, I don't know. If I, my parents dropped me off to see a movie. It'd probably be like Pokemon, the first one that came out in two thousand. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like not like I mean Pearl Harbor was a children's movie. It really was. It was like a action. I swear they could have sold toys off of that shit. But why'd you want to go see that by yourself? I'm curious now. Man. I don't, dude. I don't know. I think it's because um, I think it was the I, yes. I think it was the historical aspect of it. I respect that, dude. I'm, That's like me seeing Jurassic Park. I was like, I love dinosaurs. Yeah, what's it rated? Because I feel like there was some. I just the only the only scene I remember from that movie is Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> getting on like that, like. <laughs> You know I love that shit. I was watching that show. I was like, yeah, that's the only was like black people in World War Two yeah. fighting for their country, <laughs> fighting against fascism, only to return home to that exact same kind of fascism. Nah, man. <laughs> now I also remember uh, the dog fights in that movie, man. Yo, that, that movie fight. really did give. Uh, un- I mean, all movies give an unreal depiction of war. I can't think of maybe Jarhead was a movie or the Hurt Locker or movies that kind of like you know, but like. That movie, I was like, yo, that shit was cool. That was a righteous war, man. Yeah. I mean, and so what? We had to drop the bomb after that? Well, too bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, god damn, dude. Oh, that's true. Uh, I do remember there being a scene, I think, where they have FDR being... Uh, dude, I'm constructing this all entirely from, <laughs> like, 20 years ago. Well, shit, I guess it was even more than that. It was probably, like, 25 yeah, years ago. Like, uh I'm pretty sure there's a scene in that movie where they show FDR plans to bomb Pearl Harbor that they acquired from the Japanese, and FDR like waves them away. He's like, "No, we'll never do it." And then they do it. Yeah. It's like I don't know what were they trying to say. Was he trying to make some? Again, this could, this could be entirely not even what happens in the movie. But this is yeah, probably not. I'm trying to remember too, but I think. See, as a kid, I was like, I just want to see more plays and shit blowing up. But actually, thinking back to it, I think that was Michael Bay's, like, like flimsy, limp dick way of being like, well, you know, we didn't have to drop. You know, there's some controversy still about whether we had to drop the bomb or not. Instead of just being like, no, this was a horrific thing to fucking do. You yeah. Know? And the people who did it are monsters. You know what I mean? That, I guess that is the, the only thing you get out of making a Pearl Harbor movie is you get to show kamikaze pilots. Like that's really yes, it, that's the only cool thing. That's probably why I wanted to see it. I wanted to see that's yes. the thing, dude. You wanted to see kamikaze pilots. Yes. yes. Oh, dude, you know you wanted to see. I mean, dude, it was just. I'm not gonna lie. It was. I mean, now. I mean, I guess Top Gun is a better Maverick, right? Because they used real planes. But I don't know. As a kid, I thought the dog fighting was cool. Kamikazes, man. I was with it. You know, some weird synchronicities. That movie came out in 2001. The same year that some kamikaze pilots did a, a new Pearl Harbor. <laughs> within, within, but yo, I'm actually, yo, within, because I felt like, okay, I know Spider-Man, the the first one that came out, the Tobey Maguire one, I know that the poster had the Twin Towers on it, and they, like, cut that out. I know around that time, there was a lot of editing, like, post-edit shit done, because, like, you know, people were like, oh, shit. But when did... That's bold, yo. When did that come out? May 2001. Like- yeah, just a few months before. Oh, shit. Oh, well, it couldn't help it then. Yeah. See, my Spider-Man wouldn't be able to do that. It's like shooting scotch tape. You can't swing between the Twin Towers with scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe between two trees, not even between two branches. <laughs> oh, shit. Damn, man. Man. Yeah. Movies. We love them. We love the we movies. We love the movies, man. Did you see? Speaking we need of, to bring back the big dumb movies. Speaking of movies, did you watch Elvis yet? Nah, I haven't <laughs> watched Elvis yet, man. Oh man, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch so, it. So let me ask you a question: Does it like? Does it? Does it real? Does it kind of do this white savior sort of? I don't want to say white savior because I would hope that the movie is like you know like more I don't know conscious enough to do that, but I don't know. This is Hollywood. But does it try to like parse out? Like his relationship with the black community, his inspiration and shit like that. Does it try to like give like deference to that? You know what I mean? It yeah, it does, but it's it's so incoherent. It's like truly. <laughs> it's like that's why I like I explained it to you as an amusement park ride. Actually, there is a scene in the movie where Elvis gets lost in a hall of mirrors, like a maze of mirrors, and Colonel Parker like appears and leads him out of it. And I feel like that's pretty fucking heavy. I mean, it's very heavy handed. There's no subtlety to it at all. The whole movie is 
yeah, it's like a wilderness of mi- mirrors. It's like, uh, it's like there's no coherence to any of it, and like what mm. coherence there is, it's um, extremely heavy-handed. I don't know if it makes any sense. Was that? Do you any? Do you know if any of his family was res- like relatives, like were involved in like you know like making this movie? Not that it would have made it more coherent, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Um, his daughter didn't she die earlier this year? I think so. I don't even know. Cause like I was telling, like I was telling you in text, man. Like I've never seen. I'm trying to think of a biopic that I've seen and enjoyed. I don't really like biopics to be honest with you, but. I'm trying to think of one I enjoyed and one that was like, you know, not just, uh, uh, not, uh, I don't know, I had split opinions, I guess, about it. But like, when you're trying to recreate someone's life, it's just like playing a game of telephone, you know, uh-huh. especially someone as big as Elvis. I mean, most of the movie, I, I mean, to me, it feels like making a movie about him would be making a movie about like Bugs Bunny or something like that, you know? Well, not to say he wasn't a real person, but it's a caricature almost, you know what I mean? We, we've lost the biopic of the everyday man. Like, mm. the. I say everyday man, but like people that aren't godlike celebrities. Like, mm. actually, I don't even know if this is based on a true story. <laughs> Remember that Jonathan Demme uh, movie, Philadelphia, uh, where Denzel Washington yes. plays the lawyer for Tom Hanks, who is a gay man who has AIDS. Yes. Is that yes. is that based on a real story? I think so. <clears throat> but I'm just I'm saying like we don't make movies like that anymore. Just kind of like. About normal guys anymore. Normal right, guys. Just, just, no, yeah, normal guys. You know what, guys. dude? Yo, it's either one of two things now that we do, bro. We either make movies about Lincoln or Elvis or Marilyn Monroe and just fuck up and desecrate the memories of these people. Well, I mean, Lincoln, whatever. I don't care so much. Mm-hmm. But, like, all these other people, right? But, like, either or you'll make a film like Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. which is ostensibly about Fred Hampton, but really it's about the fucking snitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. That's fucked up, man. Totally. I've, not, I've still not actually got to see that yet. It's pretty, it's, uh, eh, it's all right. I don't know. Well, I'm conflicted because it's like pretty in there. I think that's a good segue into this mm. reading. This I think it's a good segue, segue into this story I wanted to read. Uh... I wanted to get your insight into it um, because this is in the New York Times deals with a lot of themes we explore in this show. Uh, And it has at the center center of it a person who I think would make for an interesting, probably insufferable character in a mid-sized legal thriller like Mm. Philadelphia or something. Or... or, Maybe actually, this would probably make more sense. Do you know that Michael Haneke movie? Do you know who he is? He's a nah. Who's that? Aust- what movie do you do? He's an Austrian film director. He's made a lot of different movies. He did the movie Funny Games, and then he remade his own movie. Like, uh, I've heard him. It's Funny Games, that thriller kind of psychological yes. horror movie. It's great. Like like home invasion shit. Yes. Okay, I've heard of this movie. Uh, he well, he made a movie in the early two thousands that will absolutely destroy you called The Piano Teacher. Uh, oh, no. It's got... It's, oh, already that title. It's so innocuous <laughs> that, like, something belies <laughs> that it is its simple title. Just some mania. <laughs> okay, what is it? It's got Isabelle Huppert. I don't... I've never really known how to say her last name. I think that's how you say it. And she just, te- she just plays a piano teacher with some very, very weird... Well, I would say weird, but interesting obsessions. I'll just say that. She got some hobbies. A girl got to have She's hobbies. She's got hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this guy would probably make for a better uh, titular subject of a movie like that. Um, mm. I th- this is a weird article. Never heard of this guy before. Very surprised I'd never heard of him before. Um, but this is in the New York Times. The liberal helping conservatives fight race-based affirmative action. For decades, Richard Collenberg has pushed for a class-conscious approach to college admissions. He may finally get his wish, but it comes at a personal cost. Dude, that's the drama. That's what you call a a drama. It's going to come at a personal cost. But, but hold up, though. That's also, like, not to, to like, you know, uh, uh, jump the gun here, but, like, I'm just, okay, we'll read. But I'm confused. A class-based, so what is he saying that, like, I mean, okay, I'm approaching this again as a Marxist, right? So race and class are inextricably linked, and we'll parse it out, but that's, this is just so diseased, yo. 
This is just like, cause I mean, the, the what you're saying, the alternate what you say is like, too many black people are getting into school. <laughs> it's um, it is interesting because it kind of, I feel like there's been a debate roiling the left for like six years now, and the people that can't resolve it have peeled off into this like quote unquote post left position, yeah. um, because they can't or won't or are afraid to confront the racism at the heart of American society. <laughs> they're, 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 they're the people that like, oh, you're not talking about me. I'm not racist. Yeah. I'm not racist. It's like, yeah. bro, we're talking about sisters. But actually, now that you say it, <laughs> maybe you are fucking racist. It's like, yeah, you're protesting a little too much. Um, <laughs> right. But I like, I feel like this kind of distills that in a person mm. who I feel like is kind of outside of those debates because like mm. I was like dude in America there is a person for everything right and like you would read this article you would expect this guy to be a uh, like I said like a compact mag re- reader a post left guy mm. you know what I'm saying like um, I know exactly what you're saying, but, but no, he's like not a mainstream, not a mainstream MSNBC, yes. Washington Post, New York Times, <laughs> which liberal. is what like, he is. Just, like motherfucker, do you listen to Red Scare like in your spare time <laughs> when you're cooking in your kitchen or some shit? Like you're a weirdo. What the it, fuck is this? It's like, yes, you're right. This guy, uh, I was really surprised reading this because I is it, a curveball. It's like I said, but there's drama here, man. And it's at the New York Times, right? It's New York Times, yeah. I'm surprised it's also with the New York Times. I mean, I guess not, but like, yeah. Well, uh, well like I said, there's drama here because um, this is a slight tangent. Did you read that uh, Wired profile of Brandon Sanderson, the nah, fantasy writer? Who is that? It like nah. uh, it was, I got to read that now. He's a fantasy writer. He's a fantasy writer. It was making the rounds last week because the profile was so bad. It made Brandon Sanderson look. Um, like sympathetic like he's he's fine i've never read his books but i have watched his youtube mm. videos on like plot structure and how to write like creative mm. writing uh but anyways all of which is to say that in a drama in a dramatic epic your main character will go through trials and tribulations and if he does succeed in pulling off, if your hero does succeed in pulling off what he plans to pull off, it will come at a personal cost. So, yes, it will. This is will. this is pure drama, man. At a great personal cost, could be anything. Great, yes, it could be anything. <laughs> um, okay, uh, for the college class he teaches on inequality, Richard D. Collenberg likes to ask his students about a popular yard sign. In this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, it says. His students usually dismiss the sign as performative, but what bothers Mr. Kallenberg is not the virtue signaling. It says nothing about class, he tells them, nothing about labor rights, nothing about housing, nothing that would actually cost upper middle class white liberals a dime. So, you know, fair, I mean. Yeah, I mean, fair. Right, right. No, no, no notes, brother. Yeah, no, <laughs> Preach on, no brother. Notes. <laughs> Go off. <laughs> Go off, King. Wait, but maybe not King yet. Maybe you're a serf. Who knows yet? Let's see. That's like that's why reading this article, I was like, what? It's like you yeah, had It's like a quarter of the way through, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm intrigued. Um, since picking up a memoir of Robert F. Kennedy at a garage sale his senior year of high school, Mr. Collenberg, 59, has cast himself as a liberal champion of the working class. For three decades, his work, largely at a progressive think tank, has used empirical research and historical narrative to argue that the working class has been left behind. Well, you don't need any empirical evidence for that. If you, you were you a Marxist, it. you wouldn't need empirical evidence to show that. Exactly. <laughs> if you were an adult, if you were a grown-up in the room, <laughs> like, you know, it would be fucking writing bullshit. Fucking, well, I guess he doesn't really write this, but you wouldn't have be having a bullshit op-eds or articles written about you in the New York Times. Right. right. Um, that same research led him to a conclusion that has proved highly unpopular within his political circle, that affirmative action is best framed not as a race issue, but as a class issue. Um, so again, it's like, what? so it's like, I, uh, I think that there are, I do think that in affirmative action, I do think we should be taking class into account, obviously. 
Mm, we shouldn't yeah. be letting but, poor and working kids getting get picked off by like military recruiters and stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or I mean, just because you're from a well-to-do black family, I don't necessarily think that means that you should get passed over on somebody who's of lower socioeconomic means, exactly. right? Like, but 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 this is what I'm this is what I'm kind of like. All right, so I don't really understand it from I don't remember I don't get any of this shit sometimes, right? So most of the time I'm talking to my ass. But from what I do know though, doesn't affirmative action also benefit like poor white people, right? It, but I mean, not not like I mean, not, not, none of this shit is ever enough. But like, am I wrong about that? Or that's a great question. Actually, I actually don't know the the answer to that. Um, but I think because I, I think you're uh, right. I think you are mm-hmm. correct. I, I mean, I don't know how robust it was. I don't know how yeah. rigorously they pursued that. But I yeah. do think that it wasn't exclusively limited to uh, Black Americans. It was just marketed by advocates and even by detractors as a race-based policy. Yes. Yes, that's exactly yeah, okay. right. Okay. Okay. So maybe this guy actually, nah, I don't know, man. I'm, see, now I'm like, does this guy have a point? And then I have to remember that <laughs> three quarters of the way through, I'm going to be like, what? Okay. <laughs> the reason you will be like, what, is because the people and the organizations that he deploys this argument in service to... That's that's where you're like, okay. Th- oh, yeah, because, okay, okay, you're for the concern. Okay, okay, yeah, oh, God, yeah, the liberal mind is so diseased. Okay. Yeah, it's in the headline, but it is uh, a doozy. Um, uh, race-conscious affirmative action, while it may be well-intentioned, t- does just the opposite, he says, um, aligning with the interest of wealthy students and creating racial animosity. With class-conscious affirmative action, will there be people in Scarsdale who are annoyed that working-class people are getting a break? Probably, he said in an interview. Well, I don't know what Scarsdale is. Do you know what that is? <laughs> no, is that in New York? I, I think it's in New York. Right? Maybe, maybe it's a university. <laughs> it's a university? I don't, what the fuck is he talking about? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. But the vast majority of Americans support the idea, and you see it across the political spectrum. His advocacy has brought him to an uncomfortable place. The Supreme Court is widely expected to strike down race-conscious affirmative action this year in cases against Harvard and UNC. He has joined forces with the plaintiff, Students for Fair Admissions, run by a conservative activist. The group has paid him as an expert witness and relied on his research to support the idea that there is a constitutional race-neutral alternative to the status quo. Bro, yo— this is this is why these this is why he's a liberal. He truly is a liberal, right? Despite like you know, and I'm sure this guy doesn't call himself a socialist or a Marxist or anything. But despite his focus on class consciousness, these dumb fucking liberals always think that you could go to Republicans and conservatives. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's some sort of right. embrace of unity, and you're just helping the bad guys get what they Dude, want, but for different reasons that are opposed to the reasons that you want, you fucking goon. That is oh, an excellent point. That is an excellent point. His ideas do not make him a liberal. That is why, ultimately, post-leftists are also ultimately liberals, because they also yes. think you can ally with the right in some way. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. For, whether it's, like, hot exactly. has or, uh, you know, any of these other, like, I guess you could call them, like, class reductionist, like... The, pa- the, the patriotic socialists is what they call themselves. Or yes, like that. yeah, whatever they the call one. themselves. Right. Yes, those Pat Sox people. That's, yes, the, yes, yes. It, you're right. But that is that is actually an excellent metric for determining <laughs> if you are liberal. <laughs> if you think in the back of your mind, like there there is a uh, a bridgeable distance yeah. here, there is a way to work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could go out and have ice cream and get lunch together and hold hands and, sh- and, sit, and sit by the lake and feed ducks and feed swans. <laughs> Fucking losers. <laughs> And look, I want to be clear. That's not to say, like, that's not to say, like, I'm not talking about the delineation between, like, because, yo, where we live, dog, there's plenty of conservative people I live around, yeah, me, right? Like, yeah. in the black community, there's plenty of black conservatives I know. I'm talking about people who have, who are ideologues, who have, like, a political program, yeah. not somebody who just voted for Team Red, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, you- that's what's a liberal. A liberal is a person who thinks you can team up with those people <laughs> who literally would have put you to death not just your not just your constituents but put you to death yeah they would have hanged you that is exactly right you're right you're right because yeah there is political utility or, yeah i mean you're right like where we live we can't afford to have those kind of uh strictures on our um, social lives and other stuff like that but you're right like once you enter like the political arena yeah you're the market of ideas the market of ideas <laughs> yeah. um 
That alliance, he fucked up the bag, dude. That alliance has cost him his position as a senior fellow at the Century Foundation. No, the Century <laughs> Foundation. The, that sounds evil. Yeah, is that a progressive think tank? It is a liberal-leaning think tank where he had found a home for 24 years. Um, oh, critics dispute... Bag, buddy. I know, he fucked up the bag, man. Um, <laughs> critics dispute everything from his statistics to his rosy outlook on politics. They say that the concept of race-neutral diversity underestimates how racism is embedded in American life. They say that class-conscious affirmative action will bring its own set of problems as universities try to maintain high academic standards. I don't really know what that... That sounds like you're trying to call poor people dumb. (laughs) Yo, fuck this writer. First of all, I'll be close at the New York Times, so fuck this writer. Actually, is he saying that... The guy saying that, or is this the writer's words writing that, I, or is he saying other people? Are he's saying, saying other people are saying like his critics are saying that. So I have to okay, imagine yeah. that his critics are also probably like there are some stupid ones among his critics. <clears throat> um, he says, "I think people will have to come around because class will be the only game in town." It's just so weird to see, to hear someone say that who's not like a. This sounds yeah. This sounds like something to copy just to tweet on Twitter. It, like Bernie four twenty some shit like that. Hammered sick. <laughs> it's so lame, dude. What are you saying? That's what class is the only game around. Also, it actually is, I guess, because it's all. But you know what I mean? He's trying to say it like, uh-huh. well, we need to think before they do. We need to think and grab uh-huh. a class politics before they do. It's like motherfucker, they know. Yeah, they're trying to defeat class politics. You know what I mean? It is. It's that's why it's like creates this uncanny thing because it's a guy that's not plugged into these like rose emoji type online discourses you know what i mean yeah yeah um, but he's like he's, he's whispering though he's speaking he it, is you're right the rose emoji whisper i think i think though as you dive into his conscious like as you dive into his psychology like you start to understand why he's so obsessed with this um again that's why he's ripe he's a ripe character for a michael haneke type uh uh Psychological exploratory, ex, like legal docu, like the like the psychological sort of thriller. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Where he looks at the mirror and sees someone else who is not him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, the Harvard this this section is titled "The Harvard Legacy." Mister Collenberg's own life shows the complicated calculus of college admissions. He grew up in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, a suburb of St. Paul, where his father was a liberal Presbyterian minister and his mother was on the school board. His father had gone to Harvard, and when he came of age, so did he. His grandfather paid for his college tuition. Decades later, he seemed... Li- this guy knows a lot about class. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that out there. This is, this is what he says. He says, decades later, he seemed a little defensive about possibly having benefited from the tip that Harvard gives to the children of alumni. This will sound incredibly insecure or something, but I was gratified that I got into Yale and Princeton because it made me feel like, okay, it wasn't just legacy, hopefully, he said. Um, oh, Yale and Princeton as opposed to Harvard. <laughs> Holy shit, yo. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, as this next section will sort of elucidate, he's like, he, he became... Exposed to the incredible class warfare ideas of not Fidel Castro, not Lenin, not Rosa Luxemburg or Marx or Engels, but class warrior Robert F. Kennedy. (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. Yo, dude, bro, bro, first of all, not even... Not even FDR, dog. Like, even if you were to be an American social democrat, if you were to bring back those days, like, Robert F. K. I mean, okay, right. I also don't know anything about this guy. Yo, I just know he got, like, his fucking top knocked off. You know what I mean? That's all I know. Like, his brother. But okay, I would, exp- I would understand why RFK. Not JFK. Yeah, not J- but, but RFK. RFK. Yeah. Um... Around the time he was accepted to Harvard, he was smitten by a memoir of RFK by the village voice smitten. smitten. (laughs) Mr. Collenberg wrote his senior thesis on Kennedy's campaign for president. And today, a nicked and scratched poster of his idol hangs in his study at home. Um, At Harvard, (laughs) Mr. Collenberg was surrounded by immense wealth, he recalled. I didn't feel like an outsider. I was second generation Harvard. I was upper middle class and a lot of my friends went to boarding school. But his roommate, who came from more modest circumstances, helped educate me on the idea that working class white people had a raw deal in this country, too. 
so why, why is he saying white people? <laughs> it's just... Yeah, see, that's... Dude, go ahead, go ahead. What did you say, Dave? I was go just going to say it's this weird... It's this weird thing that... I'm, this is probably what you're going to say, too. It's this weird uh, idea that white is not also a race, right? Yes, 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 yes. Or, like, we have to delineate between... All right, man, like... Dude, like, I don't know, even to say that, no, I will say that, like, people who live, like, you know, in places that have been deindustrialized, right, like, white, poor white communities, I will say that they have, like, as a group of people, I mean, that experience is its own experience, right, and I will say that they've, people have been, obviously, we, we talk about this on the fucking show, right, people have been left out and bamboozled and all that shit, right, but whenever people use that word, usually, like, the white working class, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just makes me feel weird, man. It just makes me get them like stress right. Like it's like a spidey sense, like a stress right sense. You know what I mean? Saying my like my like hair stand up on the end, and I'm like, why do you have to delineate between that? You know? Well, that's the thing. It's <laughs> I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to articulate this, but mm. it's like every time they talk about the the dangers of like identity politics or ta- or confronting mm. race, it's only ever oriented towards every race that isn't white. As if white wasn't right. also a race that has its own lived experience and that there are yes. class experiences built into that. You know what I'm saying? So like call- undertones. Yeah. I know what you're saying. And it, they are playing identity politics themselves. Yes, they are. They right? absolutely are. It's oh God, Well, listen to this next paragraph. Mr. Kallenberg studied government and went on to Harvard Law School where he wrote a paper about class-based affirmative action advised by who other than... Alan Dershowitz. Oh my God! So when Alan Dershowitz was taking off time from uh, from uh, going Epstein's Island and shit like that, <laughs> he was on the plane going to Little St. James. He was editing his he fucking was papers. editing his papers. He yeah probably had him with him on the plane. He probably was at was like, all right, so see, we're here, but your road is really good. Yeah, I'll join you guys in a minute. I've got to finish up work for my most promising students. i got to finish up this work for a bit. I'll join you with the child slave dungeon. <laughs> um, the paper inspired him. It's unclear here if it's inspired Dershowitz or Kallenberg. The, <laughs> it's unclear. Um, I guess it's Kallenberg. The paper inspired him to write his influential 1996 book, The Remedy, which developed his theory that affirmative action had set back race relations by becoming a racial antagonism. Can I just say something real quick, Terrence? When you said the, what is it called? What's the name of the book? The The Remedy. Remedy. For some reason, bro, I know it's from a completely different dialectical spectrum, but I just thought of like a title like The Bell Curve and some (laughs) shit like that, yo. (laughs) Like, I don't know, man. It's not a good vibe title, man. Not good vibes at all. I just typed it in and it brought up that Jason Mraz song. The Remedy. Yeah. Remember him? Do you remember Jason Mraz? He was a Bernie bro, by the way. Nah. He was? Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Jason Mraz. Um... The remedy, very ominous title, though. <laughs> um, the final solution, like what? <laughs> what are you saying? It, he says, if you want white, if you want working class white people to vote their race, there's probably no better way to do it than to give explicitly racial preferences in deciding who gets ahead in life. If you want working class whites to vote their class, you would try to remind them that they have a lot in common with working class black and sp- Hispanic people. Well, I mean, that's there is true to the second part of the statement. I, that's true. I, I genuinely don't think that the first part of the statement is true. I think that, like, <clears throat> I mean, I really don't, just because, like, working class white people just don't really vote, period. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, they don't vote. I mean, most working people don't vote, period, but especially, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Um, The book caused a stir, in part because of the timing. California voters adopted a ban on affirmative action in college, public colleges and universities that same year. Um, today, as in the mid-90s, polls show that a majority of people oppose race-conscious college admissions, even as they support racial diversity. Public opinion may not always be right, but surely it should be considered when developing public policy. I didn't know that. Did you know that? All right. So, 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 so. Let me let me ask you a question. So, during the civil rights movement, when most white people were asked how they felt about Dr. King's actions and those of the civil rights uh, 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 organizers and protesters, and most white people said, "Nah, like we should let the cops fuck them up and shit." So we should use that <laughs> to let that inform public policy. Like, what are you talking? Like, yo, I get, I get this warding warding off of like. See, this is what happens when you, like, try to overcorrect, right? I get Mm -hmm. this warding off of, like, wokeism, of liberal identity politics, of, like, 
you know, like the 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 conservatives will say, well, the left, they're the they're the ones that care about race, right? But like, what you end up doing is that you center things that have a s- historical precedent, and like explicitly leaving people out, right? right? And discriminating against them, right? Because I mean, like, white is the fucking default, dude. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even an opinion. That's just like I don't know how you go about affirmative action, but saying class conscious and including words like white working class just gives me really icky vibes, man. Well, I don't know. I can't explain. Well, it. the reason why is because look at how it's deployed. This is really mm. fascinating. Um, an uneasy alliance. Edward Bloom, the conservative <laughs> activist behind the lawsuits against Harvard and UNC said Mr. Collenberg came to his attention when the remedy was published. The focus on class seemed like a powerful bridge between the left and the right, Mr. Bloom said. I mean, like, that kind of gives it away right there. It's like, if you don't have an analysis of class that goes beyond just that, like, there are poor people and they're left out of the political process and there's inequality and stuff. And, And furthermore, that, like, they're... The way that they navigate the social world of America isn't... um wholly determined by their race uh if you leave that all out then yeah you're gonna have an analysis of class that can be co-opted by the right and could be used for that <laughs> so it's absolutely. like that's absolutely that's just that, 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 we don't that's not even a conjecture we know that because that's what they say that's what they say right here and it's and that's literally what's happening we saw that happen in 2016 bro yeah yeah um if we're going to agree on one thing, he said, it is that colleges and universities should consider lowering the bar a little bit for kids from disadvantaged backgrounds who are maybe the first in their family to attend college. I don't know who would be against that. He said that's the unifying theme that Rick Collenberg, he's the grandfather of it. Or the godfather. Sorry. He's the godfather. Mm. You come to me on the day of my... The godfather. My, the day of my daughter's admission into Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> because of affirmative action. <laughs> um... Uh, let's see. Um, anyways, there are those who think that Mr. Collenberg is being used by Mr. Bloom, who has made a specialty of challenging laws Obviously. <laughs> that he believes <laughs> confer advantages or disadvantages by race. <clears throat> he orchestrated a lawsuit that led to the Supreme Court gutting a key section of the Voting Rights Act and was responsible for litigation against the University of Texas charging discrimination against a white applicant, which failed. Oh, my God. Um, Dr. Laycock of the University of Virginia. I love that <laughs> name. Doctor, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't lay pipe. I don't lay pipe. I lay cock, motherfucker. Excellent name. <laughs> that's a great name. Excellent. We've been reading some weird names, but that's a great one, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Expects that once the Supreme Court rules, conservative groups that are now promoting race-neutral alternatives will claim they are racial proxies and turn against them. Of course they will. Everybody knows that's why it's being used, he said. Mr. Bloom says his group will not, wink, wink, though other conservative groups could do so. Sure. Um, oh, my God, dude. Uh, These people are rubes, yo. Absolutely. They're fucking, absolutely. They're truly rubes, man. I mean, it's the same kind of energy that, like, that, like, um, that John Stewart and liberals like him have, a similar kind of energy where they think that they can parse out the contradictions of conservatives you know Mm -hmm. and point them out as hypocrites and it's like thinking that you can navigate like their baser instincts which comprise their entire political (laughs) ideology right like they're just omnicide they're omnicidal death Uh, death like you know say like death squad like i don't know i mean like like a death call i mean like i don't know what you think you're going to be able to get out of this because okay when they get rid of race-based affirmative action make it class-based affirmative action then what other what other spheres of public life exactly where are do you, they going to restrict people exactly <laughs> like where are they going to turn their guns next because that's what they are that's what they fucking do they're going to turn their guns somewhere next it's like a cancer yo they just metastasize until the next issue the next issue the next issue until from every single sphere of like life yo you Dude, know you're what I'm saying? right it, like it's this <laughs> assumption that like once they get what they want they'll stop we're seeing this everywhere right now yes. that they they will never stop until life is exterminated bro they literally literally we were talking about this last week right saying we need to eradicate transgenderism right yeah. it's not even no more that we can't have drag we we don't have what uh, uh child drag shows or whatever like that right or we don't have drag performance at children's like libraries and shit like that right or we don't even want to like it, it's just now we have to exterminate these people like what do you think is the next logical conclusion right yeah, they, but of course these people are rude so they don't fucking get that. they don't they don't they they fundamentally <laughs> misunderstand the what is at the the foundation like what is at the root of their project 
It's fat, dude. I don't know. It's really fascinating. It's it's a pathology, yo. It's like literally, it's just understanding that okay, these people are homicidal. It's like a bear coming at you that has no other instinct but to rip dude. you limb from limb, and you're like a baby with like a rattle. Just what are you doing, man? Dude, you're right. Get out of the way, baby. Run, baby. <laughs> dude, you're right. It's like it's a bear, baby. <laughs> like you can't. You're not gonna fucking reason with the fucking grizzly. <laughs> no, it's dude. like. If it's a brown bear, I'd probably be more scared of you than it is. You know what I'm saying? But no, seriously, though. Well, these people are fundamentally not human. I mean, in the sense that like their ideas are anti-human. I don't know, man. This is a really fascinating thing that like I think um, is obviously really relevant right now. Uh, You've got in Kentucky, they just passed um, in Kentucky and West Virginia. They just passed new anti-trans bills that make it impossible to get gender affirming care for uh i think teenagers that make it to where teachers don't have to use your pronouns preferred pronouns Mm. in school basically that encourage cruelty at every step of and and eradication essentially like like a social death right before they actually try to it's exactly correct it's a a social death um and it's it, it it's absolutely um genocidal the, obviously all mm-hmm. the all of the expected things that we could say about it and have said about it before but mm-hmm. it it comes like with these sort of ideological weights that are interesting like i was talking with someone uh i share an office with the other day and she was telling me about how there was a conference held recently with like betsy devos and was it eric prince Oh, God, those people. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that was the former Secretary of Education yeah. of Trump, right? Yeah. yeah. And they were talking about, like, the reason, like, their reasoning behind all of these the anti-trans bills, and this won't be surprising to you if you grew up in, like, an ev- evangelical household or whatever, but, like, their reasoning is that America is not Christian enough, and therefore that's why God has not come back yet. Or Jesus, not God, but Jesus. Oh, my God, dude. It's like... Because, because we haven't proved, we haven't proved, we haven't fulfilled our piety yet. Yeah. Improved our, our spiritual worth. Yeah, and the thing. So we need to bathe in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's ter- that's dominion shit. That's dominionist shit. Well, right? that's what it is. But I feel like it's paired. Me and Tom were kind of trying to talk about this yesterday, and then my computer died, and so we didn't really get to fully get into it. But it's paired with this kind of like economic push on the right towards smaller and smaller units of like economic and political control. Like, you saw this, to me, the best example is how, like, in Idaho, um, how in Idaho, they recently passed the law that said you can't leave the state for abortions, to to get an abortion. Mm, I I remember seeing that. Um, Which is, I think, like, people pointed out, like, a violation of, like, the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, like... Uh, yeah, something like states get to trade or something like that. Right. Like, or ex- yeah, exchange goods or some shit. Right, yeah. right. exactly. You exchange goods. Mm. And I think the implications of that is like you can't also restrict the movement of people between the states as well, um, mm. or among the states as well. Uh, but yeah. I think that like what they're pushing for is like I said, it's like smaller. So we call it like dominionism. Like there is like a religious component to it. But I think it is also helpful to think of dominionism as an economic project, like where yeah. it's like, dominion fief- yes, dominion exactly. fiefdoms almost, man. That's exactly right. They're trying to create like fortress states where uh, the state is basically a fucking uh, labor camp where every aspect of your personal freedom is slowly stripped away from you. From uh, gender affirmation, from who you love, from what you uh, w- uh, want to do um, in your free time to, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like every... S- and surveilled. Yo, and think, surveilled. About, think about city. Right. Think about cities like uh, Ferguson, right? <clears throat> or and we've talked about the city before, man. Um, and when we were talking about civil forfeiture, about the city in Alabama, I think like that, where like... I mean, like, they were just, like, robbing the fucking people, right? I mean, you know about this, right? And cops being heavily militarized. And it's like, yeah, man. Like, I don't know. I've never lived in a small town. But, like, you know, like, sort of, like, in the past couple of years, like, like, just reading more about, like, police violence and police brutality and sort of, like, living in the South, just realizing that, like, man, if you're, like, a sheriff of a small town or some shit like that, or, like, a mayor of a small town, you can run that shit like your own fiefdom, man. 
and it's insane you know totally and i could only imagine like you know like oh they're just gonna like instead of building one big wall wall around the country they're just gonna build walls around i mean we already do that right totally gated communities right yeah i think they're yeah they're trying to break it down into smaller and smaller units like that um and uh that gets back to what we were talking about a second ago like if you fundamentally misunderstand that like what these people want is to strip every last remaining semblance of personal freedom that you have as a human being, mm-hmm. the things that bring you joy and love and laughter and, and happiness and contentment and all these other things. It's like, if you misunderstand that that's their project, like they're antithetical to life. It's antithetical like literally to I said life. this to Tom the other day, they're long, like one episode, they're antithetical to life. Like, I mean, Dude, you don't even have to go into the way that they, you know, look at the climate, right? I mean, we're talking about, like, conservatives. I mean, I would say liberals, conservatives, too. But forget even about those issues of, like, the mass death of millions of people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they just don't want people... Dude, I said this before, you know, but when when the Cop City shit, I think it was a couple weeks ago, when there was the march back to uh, rebuild the encampment, re-establishment encampment, and there was a music festival going on that weekend, and the next day... Right after that, there were children with uh, um, people with their fam- uh, parents with their children and families and pets and stuff. I mean, they went in there and just like raided everything and tore it down and pointed a gun in a bouncy house. Yeah. I mean, think about that image mm. of like a guy pointing, an officer pointing a gun in a bouncy house that's meant they don't want people to enjoy themselves. No, no. They don't no. want you to be, have fun and live, man. I, I you know, I honestly, and I, again, I said this to Tom yesterday too, but like, I, I really do think that, like, you have to understand the stakes of this and the implications of what's happening because some a, a big thing that is occurring in... I mean, of course, we, like, view history as this dialectical clash of classes, right? And then that pushes history forward and it propels it. But, like, you know, and I don't know if Marx had, like, a well-thought-out schematic for this, too... But we have to also understand that, like, ideas do play a role in this. That, like, there is an interplay between, like, ideas and social movements and um, modes of production. And I think that if you look at what's going on right now in the tech world and in philosophy, uh, you start to see that there is a general question that is has arisen over who and 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 what and i say this in reference to ai is human Mm. and so i think that if you look back at the last time Mm. this question was so uh fraught and prevalent in discourse it really was in the early 20th century when you had eugenics you had like phrenology. Mm. You had these various mm. ideas, social Darwinism. You had these various. And, and what was happening socially, economically at the time too? Like the complete rape of like you know Africa and yes. Asia, man. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And the like the, the stratifying, or not to say stratifying, but the compartmentalizing, the creation of race. Yes. Right? Yes. As you're saying, phrenology, right? Right. And I think that like I think that there's a similar thing sort of happening right now, and I, I think that people on the right are using that to um especially people like peter till and jd vance or whatever uh like they're using that to perform their own vision of humanity and human nature and like what humans are and uh and i think it's extraordinarily bleak i think it's extraordinarily anti-human um and i think that it's playing out in all these state legislatures that we're seeing I guess I'm not articulating myself completely, compl- concretely. Maybe it's maybe it's a little vague right now, but I no no dude, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, you go ahead. No, no, I know exactly what you're saying, man. Because I think about this shit too. Uh, quote as a black person, TM. But like seriously, as a black dude who loves science fiction, right? Yeah. And like you know these themes of stranger in a strange land, right? Which is why like every black person, everybody should be in a science fiction, but especially if you're a member of a marginalized community, right? I mean, this is why I think like we see queer science fiction, right? Like works by Ursula K. Le Guin or Samuel R. Delaney, but like, like whether it's capitalism grinding people down, right? And like dehumanizing them and using them as like automatons or whether it's like that defining about like what is what life, what is life and what worth is life preserving, right? It really is like, and you see that with technology too, where we like 
we're not we because we're not dumbasses, but like the same tech bros who are like working on the shit are so ready to attribute human qualities, right? Yeah. To this AI, right? While this, at the same time, they can't fucking say someone's pronoun, right? Yeah. They want to complain about <laughs> that, right? And it's just like, like, oh my God, Chat GBT wants to come out of the computer and take over the world. But pronouns, oh my God, that terrifies me, right? And it's just like, dude, like, this is, this is what it, this is like kind of like what I've like, you know, this is my hobby horse I've been saying, but like truly, and I guess you're adding, you're adding to it too, you're making me think about it, truly this continuity and like focus on the, the, the focus of the continuity of human life, but what they see is human life, right? right? So because in their minds, right, trans people, right, are not, in their minds are not able to produce, right, are not able to socially pr- reproduce, right. right? Well, shit, that means this is the end of not, not just our ideology of our country, but the human bloodline, yes. right? The future, right? Exactly. Dude, Fucking psychos, you're dog. right. And that's why I think that they <laughs> fall back on this, they fall back so much on this ideology of biology and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And that's why the AI question is an interesting one. Uh, I, they're like, shit, we can't do phrenology on the AI. I don't got a head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do brain. We can't do brain. Like, what drops like, right? blood science on the AI, you know? <laughs> so we got to make up black people instead. Like, they made that fucking black rapper who could say nigga. Right. Right? People got mad about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's dude. Can, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go you ahead. go ahead. Yeah, yo, I just want to give it a side, man. I don't know if I said this. I hope I didn't repeat this one episode, but like, dude, I, and I want to go through the whole plot. But I read this amazing fucking short story in this anthology that I've been talking about, and like, basically, like, dude, it's this like undescribed genocide that happens of black people, right? And because white people feel so guilty for doing it, right? Uh-huh. They create black androids and robots, but then they have to send the black robots away because they not only become black but human, right? Right. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So it's like it's like the further and further that like something that you abhor as like non-human becomes human, and you resist the pretending that you've been doing. The, the story's called the Pretenders. You can't maintain the illusion anymore. You start to have a psychic crack, or yes. then you go like, "Okay, no, we have to genocide these exactly. people." Exactly, right? It, right. And, <laughs> and then forms of control in policing, and then yes. ultimately genocide arise from that. That exactly. is it. Fa- exactly. That is a very fascinating way to look at it. And I think that you're ultimately right. It's that distance that gives that that imbues this like fear and fraughtness to it that they that they start sort of frantically trying to have to like control. And like I said, yep. their mechanism for doing that is breaking forms of governance and political systems down into smaller and smaller parts um and and you see it in the way that they talk about like the natural national divorce and all this like they they don't think they want that what they actually want is a sort of wait, wait what is the national divorce the balkanization is that, is that what mary marjorie that's what she was talking for about. A balkanization? Right, right, right. well that's what that's <laughs> okay. what i was going to say like they want a balkanization they don't want like a uh North versus South, like old school Civil War thing. They want a complete balkanization down to the. I mean, it is futile in the sense that I don't think there would be any larger overarching governing body. It would just yep. be all like little fiefdoms where they can enact their own insane uh, ideologies out on those people and then try to extract as much surplus from them using whatever remnants there are left of capitalist mode of production. So it's like people, you know, you call it like, I mean, there is controversy over that word, like techno neo feudalism or whatever, but maybe you don't, maybe it does, doesn't have to have the word feudalism in it. Maybe it is something entirely new, but regardless (laughs) Like they have to find a way to get surplus out of that population because that that is ultimately what they're going to try to do. But those those two um, forces are at odds. So it's like because yeah. they they have an exterminationist policy or or worldview, but they also mm-hmm. know that like to keep things moving, you have to have a mode of production, and they have to have a sur- they have to have like this kind of underclass, right? Yeah, like the surplus, right? That they can use, right? Right. So it's like, yeah, man, yo, that's such a good point, man, because like it's also like okay, so you. Like, you know, hypothetically speaking, how would your fiefdoms be sustainable, right? Right. You know what I mean? Like, how would they put... Also, there's that there's that desire to expand. And that's another contradiction, too, right? Like, this desire to expand, but at the same time to, like, kind of, like... I mean, this is why, again, I mean, this is, I think, one of the undercurrents of what we're saying is that this is not only an antithetical to life political ideology, but it is, like, it is, like, um, um, intrinsically, like, um, it, the center cannot hold, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it, it's not... It's not... It, it can't hold it. I'm forgetting the word for it, right? But it's unstable, right? Right. You know? 
It's inherently unstable. Yeah. You're right. Well, yeah. and again, yeah. I think that also describes why they are so obsessed with limiting the movement of people. Like this is all, it's all mm -hmm. tied together. Like limiting mm -hmm. people's like access to healthcare in the form of like gender affirming care and then limiting their own, um, uh, limiting their own conceptions of self and, and uh, their own, uh, you know, realizations of who they are and, and limiting mm. um, their movement and also what they can and can't do with their body. You know, I think yeah. that these are all linked things. And so it's like keeping yeah, people not... geographically bound, keeping them psychologically bound. I mean, I think that that is the general trend here. There's a through yeah, line to you have all these control. various things. I guess is what I'm saying. Even even a right yeah, to work. There's control. To, even yeah, even to. And I was. I mean, I said right to work. Hmm. But yes, right hmm. to work. But even to like these child labor laws that they've been signing in. Yes, dude. Because then they're like, damn, right, man. Well, like we've already like you know created the social death. But all right, there's still kids being born. Exactly. And we're gonna do the same thing to them. But we have to squeeze out every like a stone. <laughs> we have to squeeze out every last bit of labor before they become like so completely just disoriented and dissociated from human life. You yes. Know, that they either leave Omelas, you know what I'm yeah. saying, <laughs> or they like I don't know, or they become Omelas. They become the child in the. Uh, in the dungeon in that story 100 percent. one i think that's 100 percent. jesus christ dude no it's god man like that's the vi <sighs> like that's the vision like that's what they want and so it's like comical when you look at like stories like this and this guy or not comical that's not the right word like bleak, bleak <laughs> farcical uh farcical farcical when you look at like stories like this guy like thinking that he can in some way advance his own agenda by allying with people that as soon as they get what they want they'll turn the fucking guns on him bro mm -hmm. it's, it's like the same it's sort of a similar i mean this is like i mean for me personally this is even worse right because uh but i mean you know skin folk and kin folk people like candace owens right you know what i'm saying yeah. or black conservatives right and it's like dog you ever heard of the day to rope what do you think is going to happen <laughs> after they hang all of the black people, all of the race traders, all of the people uh -huh. that they don't like? You think it's going to be like, nah, what are the good ones? Yeah. No, you're a fucking moron if you think No, that yeah. This <laughs> is not going to happen, bro. I think another thing, going into this last paragraph, and we'll close it out right there, but like this last paragraph is fascinating. Because um, like earlier you'd said like a hallmark of the, like, the liberal is thinking that like they can work with um reactionaries conservatives i also think a hallmark of a liberal is someone who is completely debilitated by their own guilt to the part to the point that yes. it um it becomes the sort of pathological thing that like rules everything about them um, and they have to absolve themselves of their own guilt so they never end up doing anything productive about it well yes. and that and that to me kind of gets at the usefulness of a like a, a dialectical uh a materialism like a materialist mm -hmm. way of looking at things because to me that says like if you have a guilt complex about something that you have <clears throat> um seen the world in terms of like these empirical statistics and um mm -hmm. facts of life rather than as processes and social relations that are in constant motion and that are have to be reproduced along with the sort of mode of production um, and resolved in a dialectical process. It, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. he says yeah. here, he says, I do have some measure. Okay, wait, let me see. Let me see. Read this last paragraph. In that spirit, his stubborn campaign might be traced to being the son of a pastor whose family could afford to make him a Harvard graduate twice. I do have some measure of class guilt, he said. I wish people who are far richer than I am had more class guilt. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's just still, you should have just led with that, bro. <laughs> You should have said, I feel bad about being, yeah. not being but I about going bad. to Harvard and well off. I feel bad, man. <laughs> this is fucked up. I feel bad. This is fucked up. I'm going to do something to help. And then you end up overcompensating, right? <laughs> Come on, dog. I, feel bad. I mean, <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> this is bad. Poor people can't go to, wait, poor people, white people can't go to school. <laughs> this is bad. I feel bad. Why are you making me feel bad? <laughs> He'd do a lot better if he just gave those people money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He just gave, like I say, bro, what you can do is give people money, you'll give them nuclear armaments. Well, right? I love That's what that. the people need. Bro. I love that. I wish the people richer than me would have more class guilt. It's like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of starting to think the opposite. Like, if really rich people started to get class guilt, we would start seeing some probably insane 
pathological oh, shit. <laughs> oh, dude, we would see the craziest. They'd be like, okay, what we need to do is so we need to take all these people from this neighborhood and put them in a rocket and send them into space because it would be better off for them. We'll fucking they billions have of to dollars. Look at them, yes. And nobody have to look. And that's the pathology of it, right? You're right. You have to look at that. Because guilt is not a constructive emotion; it's a destructive emotion. So it's like in exactly. the end, it'll only wind up in eradicating or eliminating the things that bring you guilt. That made you get exactly. <laughs> so that's what, that's like the, the story I told y'all like last week. Some shit. The space traders that you sent all the niggas to the moon, then, bro. You sent all the niggas into space, bro. Because then you have to think about it. But like, they'll have better lives, though. Dude, that is. Amazing, fuck you, fuck you. Yo, these people amazing. terrify me, bro. Yo, bro, these people terrify me. Like, I'm already terrified about the future and everything, but then, like, people like this, you know, the political future, like, people think that oh, we could work with the right, you know, mm. god man, fucking psychos. Yeah, it's uh, it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not folks. happening, folks. <laughs> not happening, folks. That that shit, not that happening. shit's not happening. <laughs> um. Oh shit! Well, it, I thought that was a fascinating little article. I was going to read you either that one or there's an essay in the New York Times about do you live in a tight state or a loose state? What uh, the fuck that mean, tight yo? Tight state, bro. I live in a tight yeah, state. I got, I got a tight state, bro. My, I be my doing state, the Kegels. My shit yeah, tight. Yeah, my state's gripping. <laughs> my state be gripping, bro. <laughs> that thing gripping. Um, oh, shit, son. Before we sign off. I just want to bring attention to something that you and I were laughing about earlier today, which is that the president of the, uh, what fucking union was that? There's a police union in, was it LA? LA, I think, right? <laughs> was it LA? <laughs> um, why can't I find that now? It's like you always bookmark shit and then it's never there why why is that the case why isn't elon on that why do i bookmark shit what? elon what are you doing bro disappearing my bookmarks man it's the san jose cop union president she was busted for smuggling fentanyl into the country uh Jesus Christ. and it wasn't just like small amounts of fentanyl dude she was like ordering it to her house and it was some Tony shit, It was bro. Tony Montana shit. It's like, and you saw the messages. She was like, she was like, uh, yo, uh, two cops got shot last night, so I was traveling, but I'll get you your pills. <laughs> two cops got shot in the light of duty of holding the law, protecting the law below. Let me get you these illegal drugs that kill people real quick, yo. And as people were pointing out, it's like, hmm, she sure didn't have any problem handling fentanyl. <laughs> as... Police didn't officers. Didn't have any claimed. seizures. She didn't have there, no seizures reported. Handling God, this fentanyl, man. dude. This is this is the kind of shit where it's like I'm not a conspiracy theorist, right? Like I'm not a I'm not crazy. Mm. Like this is insane because we've talked about that before, right? Like we talked about like on some power political shit. Like mm. man, where's all this fentanyl coming from? Like you brought that up. Like why would they just want to poison the drug supply? Right. right? And now we know we have fucking cops trafficking that. They're traffic. They're actively trafficking it into the country. I love that. So hold up. What is? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I I love that uh, text message. May second, two thousand twenty-two. I'm so sorry. It's like you know, like when you ghost someone and like you hit them up the next day, like, oh, I'm so sorry, dude. My bad. I fell asleep and you know I hit, didn't hear my phone. But like that statement, it would. That it has this sentence in it. I'm so sorry. I'm on a business trip because we had two officers that got shot. <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> First of all, I'm on a business trip. I know it's not vacation, but because two officers got shot, that not mean that you want to be close to the scene of the, you know what happened? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what do you go to the Bahamas? All these motherfuckers in the hospital? Like, that was... <laughs> Did you go to cop drugs when they were in the hospital? <laughs> I love this stuff. It's oh, just this is awesome, dude. This is like texting it all. Like she clearly didn't think she'd get caught. Sorry, I had fifty new officers starting today, so I've been tied up all morning. I'll be back in the office within an hour and take care of all of it. Any news on the soma? <laughs> Bro, this is. I feel like this is also just. I don't know how old this woman is, right? But I also feel like this is just like, like, like. I mean, I don't know, man. Like. I mean, you try to be discreet about shit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you assume their text messages, no one's going to see them, you know? But if I'm doing, like, a drug deal, if I'm trying to cop for my boy, I'm not like, hey, man, can I grab any of that blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah, exactly this much? You know, I'm like, yo, you got... But she's, like, literally just yes. saying exactly... There's no mistake what she's talking about, you know what I mean? No. 
It is plain as day. She said, so I need to send you $900 for the orange pills that are on their way. Are they on their way? My family member is going on vacation, so I want to give her enough to last, but that is going to make me short. Do you know when they are coming? How much fucking drugs are you giving your family member? $900 worth of orange pills? Bro, this is insane, man. This is this is more like Walter White, if like, you know. Yeah. If uh, if Walter White and Hank, his uh, brother-in-law, were uh, two characters. Right. One if character. they were, yeah, one character. If they were just combined into one character. Joanne Segovia is her name. I love also, it. Also, too, I think I think she... Uh, uh, God, where is it? Where it says what she tried to smuggle them in as. I think she tried to smuggle them in as like... Like um, like wedding goodies were, and stuff yes, like that. Yes, and candy, party favors. And <laughs> Yo, bro, so these motherfuckers are complaining <laughs> about like fentanyl in the candy during Halloween and they putting fentanyl <laughs> in the candy, bro. <laughs> They're the ones putting fentanyl in the candy. See, you can't, you can't trust the fucking cops, bro. As someone, point, no, as someone pointed out, there's a tweet from the San Jose Police Officers Association. The, the organization she was running says fentanyl is a serious threat to our community. Even if you know your teen is drug-free, please inform them of this story. It could save their lives or the lives of their friends. This this tweet was from 2020, but because she ran that union, you would have to imagine she might be doing it social media. She might have typed that very tweet herself. She, she, she might have typed it with a smile, man, and hit said doing a smile, but like a brick of, I don't even know what fentanyl code looks at physically, but like a brick or bottles of fentanyl shit and pills all around her, man. Well, dude, it's like Dead Prez said. <clears throat> it's like Dead Pred old, Prez always said. Uncle Sam is the motherfucking pusher man. He's a pusher man, dog. It's true. No conspiracies town. here. No conspiracies here. Also, too, like, this is another reason why police unions shouldn't exist. Yeah. You know? Oh, dude. I am just police, but police unions, she, man. She didn't on, even dude. get fired. She just got, like, suspended with pay or something. <laughs> Bro, I think it was Robert Scavala, like, said some shit like, yo, like, being a cop is, like, you traffic fentanyl and you just get suspended with leave or some shit like that. <laughs> I don't know if she got leave, but might as well. This shit just set her on vacation, dog. She's a, she's a, you know the guys that you guys are obsessed with catching, right? <laughs> yeah. The drug dealers, <laughs> the traffickers. She's one she of them. She is one of them. <laughs> yep. Oh God. Yep. That's insane, dude. Pretty, pretty ridiculous. Oh man. Yo. Um. Well, all right. Well, um. Thanks for listening this week's week, everybody. I think I'm gonna put on Patreon the episode Tom and I tried to record yesterday until my computer died. So go check out the Patreon. Um, there might be a little extra content over there this week. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Please sign up. $5 a month. Uh, coming up on the beginning of April. So that be a nice little April Fool's gift to your friend. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I signed you up for Trillbilly. Just kidding. But just not just kidding. Not kidding. You should really listen not to kidding. it. Not kidding. <laughs> Not kidding at all. That's the April Fools that you didn't that you signed them up, but that you're not gonna cancel the prescription. You're not gonna cancel it. You yeah. told them you're canceling the month now. Just yeah. check it out. Yeah. But you give them like a lifetime subscription. There you go. Um. Okay, yeah. so go sign up for a Patreon. Thanks for listening this week, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Adios. Bye.